welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. So Jesus says, Revelation 22, verse 20, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Jesus Christ is coming soon. The eminent return of Christ, as some people would put it. And in the early church age, in the day, age of the apostles, they lived as if it was the last hour. In fact, that's what it says in 1 John 2, uh, 18. They lived with an expectation that Jesus Christ was coming soon. And since that date throughout church history right up today, over these past 2,000 odd years, people have lived, Christians have lived with an anticipation of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Christ, seeing in the times in which they lived evidence which pointed to Jesus Christ coming soon. And I want to say this morning, that is a healthy way for Christians to live. Can you say amen? It is a healthy way for Christians to live. Now notes, work for me properly. Jesus Christ, He desires that His people expectantly anticipate His return. Some passages, a lot of Scripture this morning because it's good. So hopefully it will come up on the screen. I'm on slide number three if you're wondering where I am. Luke 21, 34 to 36. Jesus said these words, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live in the face of the whole earth. Verse 36, be always on the watch and pray that you will be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of God. So Jesus is saying, watch. He's saying, don't get caught out. He's saying, live your life as if I could come back today. If you hear nothing else from what I say this morning, live your life as if Jesus could come back today. Because that's what Jesus was teaching. That's how the early church lived. Live your life today as if Jesus would come back today. Man, I tell you, that would stir us up quite a bit if we really got a hold of that. Live your life as if Jesus could come back at any time. Don't get caught out. Matthew 25, 1 to 13, you have the parable of the wise and the foolish uh, virgins, which Jesus spoke about when he was dealing with this whole subject of, of when he would come back. And verse 13 says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And if you know your Bibles, you know there was ten virgins. Jesus tells the parable, ten virgins, five of those virgins, they were ready. The other five, they were not ready. They were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And as they were waiting, they had oil in their lamps. But when the bridegroom came, only five of them had oil. They had a reserve. They were prepared. The other five had none. And so Jesus said these words, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Watch. Be prepared. Be ready. The five foolish virgins, they were not ready. Verse 11 and 12 says, Lord, Lord, open the door. Jesus replies to these people, I do not know you. What he's saying here is this. When Jesus returns and he's coming soon, it will be too late to receive him as your Lord 
and Savior. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, only in this life do you have an opportunity to follow Jesus. When he comes, it will be too late. That's what Jesus was saying. Uh, Peter says, switching on to Peter, one of the apostles, 1 Peter 4 verse 7, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Moving on, coming soon, coming quickly, coming suddenly and unexpectedly. That's what the Bible teaches us. Jesus is coming soon, but no one knows when exactly he's going to come. But it will happen suddenly and unexpectedly. It'll be like a flash of lightning across the sky. Matthew, Jesus speaking again, Matthew 24, 36 to 44. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when the burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You must, you also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. And so here Jesus is drawing this illustration from the time of the flood, the time of Noah. People were just getting on with life. They were eating, they were drinking, they were having a good time, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building, they were working. Then suddenly, then suddenly, brings back memories. Because we got a lot of teaching on the second coming when I was growing up, and again in Bible college. Uh, it was strange. Suddenly, I can still remember students who were studying the end times with me, young students who were not yet married, and their biggest fear was that Jesus would come back before they got married. <laughs> Others more, more spiritual. <laughs> this is true. More spiritual. God, please don't come back yet until I get a time to preach. <laughs> Call to pastor, what will happen? Yeah, it's true. Um, I can also remember and maybe you're like this, you know, talking with Christians, you know, and you hear there's so much story about, particularly that passage that I've read in it. It says one will be taken and the other will be left behind. And you'll be honest, fellas, those of you are married, how often have you woke up in the middle of the night, put your hand out, and she's not there? And you suddenly have this fleeting moment Maybe she was ready and I wasn't. And she was taken. Come on, come on. Nobody's putting their hand up. Put it, oh, many times you and I felt really guilty and Janet's gone in the middle of the night. Oh, she's gone. 
go looking for, you know. <laughs> Maybe you've never been like that, but I, I can remember that, talking to lots of people like that. Those were the days that I grew up in. Maybe the rapture has just taken place. And I want us to read the rapture passage this morning. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. By the way, the word rapture is not in the Bible. It's actually based on a word that was used in the Latin, one of the Latin versions of the Bible. So there you go. Taken from verse 17, caught up from the Greek word harpazo, which means to seize, to snatch, or to take by sudden, take suddenly by force. Let's read it, verse 3. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returned, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with him forever. So encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. When Paul was writing to the Thessalonian church, by the way, a lot of them were suffering. They were going through persecution, hard times. Same with, the, same with James when he reach on, uh, writes on this subject. Same with Peter when he writes on this subject. There was this background that they were in a time of persecution and a lot of hard stuff was going on. But here Paul is actually addressing the fact that these guys are actually confused about the resurrection. And they were, you know, wondering what would happen to their friends and family who had already died. How could they possibly benefit from Christ's return? And so Paul teaches them, to, you know, teaches that any believer who has died, that they, were, they will have their physical body reunited with their soul, with their spirit, which, by the way, is currently in heaven, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 8. They'll be united with their, uh, at, at Christ's return, and the living believers, believers will then experience a transformation of their body. So that's what he's, he's teaching here in this passage. So the passage, this, the purpose of this passage is intended to bring, listen, encouragement and comfort not speculation and argument on how and when Christ is going to return. It was all about the, the hope of a resurrection, and it brought them encouragement. Paul also had to bring some teaching to the Corinthian church, and in here they had false teachers who were actually saying there is no resurrection. And by the way, there are people today in the church who would say there is no resurrection. Sometimes we are too smart for our own good. As far as I'm concerned, we should all be Irish. Stupid. <laughs> Just read it as it is. And don't use your human wisdom and intellect to read into it what's not there. 
And I've done a bit of reading and I've got piles of books and I've saw all sorts of twisting of words to make it mean something else, to suit a particular way of thinking, and even to deny the whole thing of a, of, of a resurrection, that it's not so, not so. Paul had the same problem in the Corinthian church, and he had to speak to, speak to them about the return of Christ. He had to talk to them and deal with these false teachers who were propagating uh, such a lie. We have a hope, a confident expectation of heaven because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's important. That's at the heart of the gospel, the good news, that we would be saved from being condemned to an eternity in hell. Why? Because Jesus took my sin. He nailed it to his cross. He died for me. He rose again from the dead for me to set me free. And because he lives, we live. Amen? Because he lives, we have eternal life if you're a follower of Jesus. So to deny that there will be no resurrection and that Christ did not rise from the dead, well, Paul says it here, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Wow. And he goes on to say in verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But we know Jesus is alive, and he's coming back. Amen. So you have gathered there that teaching on the end times is really only negative for those who are not following Jesus. Actually, all these scriptures, and we haven't got time to go through them all, but it brings encouragement, and it brings comfort, and it gives us hope. A sure, confident expectation that Jesus is coming soon. Second Timothy 4 verse 8. And now, Paul speaking, now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. We do go through hard times here on earth, but we've got hope for a better future. Yes. And for those of us that are here this morning and you're going through a hard time, we've got hope for a better future. Jesus plunged into the darkness of my sin and he enjoyed the awful suffering of the atonement entirely on his own. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Cry of dereliction. Forsaken, abandoned by God. Jesus was abandoned so that you would never be abandoned. And we've got a hope, and we've got a hope of heaven. Hell, in some ways, is total separation from God. But the hope of the believer is fully entering into the presence of God one day. We shall see Jesus, and we shall be changed.
and we should be like him. Hallelujah. Okay, John, where are you going from here? Yeah. Revelations 21 verse 4, suffering and death will be ended. God will wipe away all tears. No more death. No more grief. No more crying. No more, no more sin. No more evil. It's all finished. That's something to look forward to. Amen? We have a hope. We have a hope. And so James encourages the church there for patience and endurance in suffering. James 5, 7 and 9. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Seeing, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for an autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. This whole thought that he could come at any moment. And this whole analogy of the farmer waiting. And there's a lot in that scripture, and I have not got time to unpack it, but just briefly to say this, this is what I believe is what's, what's happening here. And although we live with this tension, he could come and he could come at any moment and we live that way, yet I also see that there is going to be a mighty revival before he comes. And in many ways, that's happening around the world. There are more people giving their lives to Jesus than ever before. Did you know that? Look at places like China. It's happening, and so this whole idea of an outpouring of rain, and if you look at the, and we haven't time to unpack it, just come and talk to me afterwards, and I may remember how to take you through the Scriptures, which point to the fact that we are living in times when there's going to be a mighty outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, and people are going to be brought into the kingdom, and God is going to use His church, which is you and I, to do that. Amen? He is. More of that in the next hour. Hallelujah. We'll talk more about this whole theme of suffering later. Question for us. So do we just hang around waiting for Christ's return? No. A couple of points. Number one, we are to live godly lives in contrast to the days of Noah when they were just getting on with life and you know some of the stuff that happened there on Sodom and Gomorrah and the contrasting um, version. Live godly lives, Titus 2, 11 and 13, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So number one, live godly lives. Number two, live your life for Jesus. Live your life for Jesus. You know that passage we, we looked at in Matthew 24 about the virgins. Also Jesus goes on to talk about the parable of the talents. And it says here then, Jesus says, Well done, 
good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And that's written as Jesus is talking about a second coming. He's giving teaching on it at this time. And he gives these two parables in this parable of the talents. What does that mean? It means use what you've got while you can. Amen? Oh, I didn't say that with enough emphasis. Use what you've got while you can. Use your talents and your abilities, your education, your life, your finances, whatever it is, use what you can while you can. Because there'll be a time when you can't use what you've got. Does that make sense? You know, it's the natural order of things that you get older. Somebody tried to give me a discounted coffee the other day. And I says, why? He says, you're a senior. I said, not a senior. He says, you look like a senior. Thank you very much. What am I getting at? Just, you know, we get older. While you've got energy, while you've got ability, while you've got health, sorry all you people that are half dead. I'll come to you in a moment. While you've got it, use it. Don't waste it. Only this side of eternity. Only in this life can you serve God in that way. When we get there, there will be no more anybody saying yes to Jesus. The opportunity is over. Only in this life do you have an opportunity to lead somebody to Jesus. Only in this life do you have an opportunity to bring the kingdom to bear in all its facets. So your talents, your abilities, your education, what you're studying, use it for the kingdom. I'll go more than that. While you are studying and while you are building your houses and while you are trying to make a life for yourself, do it with this purpose in mind. Everything that I do, I'm going to do it for Him. Because you're not living here forever. As Pastor Scott told us at the beginning, it's like a tent. Don't spend your life wasting your time on the tent which has a transient place of stay, we're going to live in eternity forever. So use what you've got while you can. Don't waste it. Use it. Serve Him. He is coming soon. So live your life as if He could come back today. And as you live your life, Live your life for Him, because that's what really counts. Amen? Oh, some of you don't like that. But it's true. I really wanted Janet and I to come and sing this morning an old song that we used to sing years ago until we realized how old we were. half-deaf, croaky voices, creaky arms, 
doesn't work the same as it used to 20 years ago. Do you get the point? Use what you can while you can. Because you only have this time to give what you have for King Jesus. Oh God, put that on our hearts. And may it not be something that we just put in the back corner. Living life as in the days of Noah. And not realizing when you come. As Christians, it's so easy to get caught up in messing around with this life as if we're going to be here forever. And we miss opportunities to serve. And Jesus waits for you. Amen? Okay, you need to get a little bit more positive. That wasn't on the notes, sorry, at the back. I don't know where I am now. Help, where am I? Okay. Yeah. Let the kingdom of God be displayed through you. Let the kingdom principles, uh, life throw you and bring change to the world around you. May others see Jesus in you. Be prepared for the bridegroom. Have that oil in your lamp. Be a faithful steward. Use what he has entrusted you with. Work for him. Here's a key scripture. Luke 19 verse 13. Jesus says, Do business till I come. Do business till I come. So we're not meant to just sit around and do nothing and ignore everything that's going on in the world. No, no, no. We're meant to get out there and work while we wait for him to come. Another scripture, Isaiah, I want to look at Isaiah. Isaiah 60, um, there's a lot in Isaiah which is prophetic about Jesus. It's also prophetic of the church age. And Isaiah 60 is one of those portions which is prophetic of the church age, so it applies to us. So just, we're going to look at two or three verses. How long have I got? There's no clock. Wonderful. Are you all okay? Great. May the Lord not return until I finish this message. <laughs> Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The only light is Jesus, and He has come. Amen? Came into the world 2,000 years ago. He has come. We are living in the age of light in that term as far as the church is concerned. It actually speaks of the church age. We are living in this time. It tells us as the church to arise, shine, for your light has come. Arise, shine, for your light has come. So get up and work for the kingdom, to use it another, uh, put it in words that we understand. We live, or are meant to live, to proclaim the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Do business until I come. Don't just sit around waiting, but no, arise, shine. We're not meant to disconnect from the world, but we are to actively shine. We're meant to work. We're meant to care about what goes on in the world around us. Do what you can to make the world you live in a better place until I come. 
That's more than just preaching the gospel. It's demonstrating the kingdom. It's going out there and doing stuff like, like what Bobby's involved with. So important. Don't disconnect, but connect and see the kingdom. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Isaiah 60 verse 3, love this verse. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. In other words, the peoples of the world will come to the church looking for wisdom, looking for help, looking for solutions for the current turmoil that this global world that we live in with all its challenges. They will come to the church. They are coming to the church. Bobby probably could tell you a bit more about that. Anyhow, coming soon. Coming soon. But in the meantime. And if that meantime is pain and suffering, coming soon, but in the meantime, hope for the challenges of life. And I want to, hopefully I can get these thoughts over to you. Some of you will come, up, come to me later and say, that's not really a good exegesis of some of these scriptures. That's okay. There's such a thing as a rhema word from God, and this is something I believe is a rhema word from God. And what I will say, if you search the scriptures, you'll, you'll find it. Um, you'll find it there. Coming soon. We all know about the new city, or you should. It's spoken about in Revelations 21, 22. And if you look at Abraham, Abraham put up with the limitations of the tent because he had his eyes on a future city. Hebrews 11.10, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. The New Jerusalem, Revelations 22, 21 verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And this city, this new Jerusalem, it's a picture of the church, it's the bride. And there is an application for that I want to draw out as we sort of finish this morning. And it's to do with these two thoughts. Walls of salvation, the city, walls of salvation, gates of praise. Walls of salvation, gates of praise of praise. The walls speak of protection. The gates is something else. The walls, that's God's part. The gates of praise, that's our part. Make a note of it. Back to verse 2 of Isaiah 60. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. In the pain of your darkness is an opportunity for the grace of God to shine. When things look their worst, the Lord comes, God is glorified, and the darkness is defeated. Are you getting this? For behold, deep 
darkness. But the Lord will arise over you. His glory will be seen upon you. Verse 18 of Isaiah 60. But you shall call your wall salvation. It's an analogy of the city. And your gates, praise. And I said walls of salvation. That's God's part. Christ is our salvation. He is our deliverer. Isaiah 62, if you come down on that passage uh, to verse 1 concerning this city with its walls of salvation, it says, I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. Have you got this picture of the city with a, it's like a blazing torch? Zechariah 2 verse 5, for I declare... I, for I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her and the glory in her midst. So that's God's part, the walls of salvation, the blazing fire, the light, the glory. But the gates, the gates is our responsibility because they're called gates of praise. He saves me, but my response is praise. I'm taking it a little bit deeper here, Revelations 21, 22, talking about that city when John saw that revelation of, of, of the new city. It says, the 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. Pearls. Here's the thought. I heard somebody sort of speak on this, and it just triggered a whole train of thoughts with me around this whole thing. But pearls, if you know anything about pearls, pearls are produced by, some, is my notes on the screen? Good. Oysters. And the pearl is produced because of an irritation in the shell. A grain of sand stuck in the shell and so the oyster will secrete a substance which will layer that grain of sand because it's an irritation, that, that wound, as it were. And over time, a pearl is produced. Wow. And the gates are named praise. Praise is our responsibility. And the gates are made of pearl. the difficulties that come our way. But we secrete worship and surrendered praise. And in our pain, we choose to glorify God. Hopefully, some of this is beginning to make sense. I know it's disjointed. So is my head. But I know... It'll help us here this morning. It's easy to praise in the good times. You notice that? But it's difficult to praise when bad stuff happens, and particularly when there's no reason for it. I didn't do anything wrong. Yet I'm going through so much pain. Why, God, 
Why am I going through this stuff? But when in the disaster, in the tragedy, in the struggle, whatever it may be, when in your time of pain you give God praise, a gate is built. And listen, the enemy cannot come in. Because there's a gate of praise here. Psalm 22 verse 3, God is enthroned in the praises of Israel. So when we praise, a throne is built for God. His presence and His power is there. Psalm 100 verse 4, enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. So I enter His presence when I praise. So what comes out of my mouth in the day of pain? In the day of my pain, what throne am I building? What gates am I building? Who am I empowering? Who or what am I allowing to enter? How am I going to respond in the time of crisis? I've got the pain. I've got the loss. I've got the disappointment, the unanswered prayer, the, so many questions, and I don't understand why or what I should have done to make it different if I could have. How am I going to respond to this irritation? I can either let it infect me, affect me, infect me, or I can bring these things, that thing, all this stuff to God as an offering of praise. I can give Him an offering in my pain, listen, that I could never give Him in eternity. Because in eternity, there is no pain. There is no loss, no confusion in heaven. It's only here. So it's only here in this life I can give God such a costly offering of praise. So I take this thing which is causing me such pain and I, and I offer it in worship of my faithful Lord and King. Are you getting my heart? I'm preaching something here which is real to me and I'm trying to put it into practice. Here's a scripture, Psalm 50, 14 to 15 in the Passion Translation. God says, honor me by trusting in me in your day of trouble. Honor me by trusting in me in your day of trouble. So I'm going to honor you, Lord. I'm going to trust you, Lord, in my day of trouble. Psalm 24, verse 7, lift up your heads, your gates. Be lifted up, your ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. So these gates, they shall be gates of praise. And by the way, this is not just for the individual. It's for the church. The church is surrounded by this wall of fire. 
but the church has gates. And we're going to build gates of praise. I'm trusting you, God, regardless of my circumstances. I trust you, regardless of my questions, the disappointment, the unanswered prayers, the pain. I declare that you are good and I trust you. And I'm going to give you praise in the middle of my pain. Why? Because I really trust you in my day of trouble. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.